I'm never quite sure when it's my time unless someone says, Mr. Potato Head, it's your time to speak. <laughs> then I kind of figure it's my time. But I hope it's not my time. I hope it's our time in Christ. I was thinking last night that I left something unsaid about abiding. A good way to know if you're abiding in Christ is when life squeezes in around you and you're pressed and you're pressured. What squeezes out? Is it the world or is it Jesus? You see, you're abiding in Christ if when the circumstances of life become overwhelming, when the trials of life press down about you, when pressed, Jesus comes out. You see, what do you base it on? Well, one of my favorite life verses is Acts 4.13. It said, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and recognized they were common, uneducated men, they didn't go to USC. They marveled, and then they remembered they had been with Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter where you go to school. It doesn't matter what you major in. When you stand before God, your diplomas matter nothing. All matter is really with Jesus. And I would pray that you would become such men and such women that when life presses hard on you, and I wish I could tell you that you're going to have a fairy tale ending, but you probably won't. I wish I could tell you that the storms of life will avoid you, but they probably won't. I wish I could tell you that hurts and pains of life will avoid your life and your Christian. You'll probably have more. But because your life is one with Christ, because you abide with him, the response of your heart will be Jesus. In Luke 6.45 it says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I pray that that's true. Let's pray this morning. Father, take this frail vessel and use him for your glory this morning. Be glorified in our time. Speak. Give us ears to hear and courage to obey. Let us truly become doers of the word, not hearers only to see in our own hearts. Lord God, help us to hear and faith to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49, Jesus poses a question to the masses of people that are following him. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I command you? We'll stop at verse 46 right now. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do anything I tell you to do? So you may say, well, I do what God tells me to do. Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your enemies? Do you pray for those who despitefully use you? Do you get mad at God when things go wrong, when things aren't as you thought they should be? Do you get angry with God and circumstances beyond your control? Is it God's fault when you're stupid? We blame God for circumstances and situations that are nothing more than the cause and effect of our own choices. When you're pressed, do you respond with gratitude or with bitterness? You see, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I command you? Everyone who comes to me and obeys me, I will show you what it's like. He's like a man building a house on a rock. Who dug deep and laid the foundation upon that rock. And when a flood arose, a stream broke against that house but could not shake it because it was well built. 
But those who hear my words and do not do them are like a man who built his house on the ground with no foundation. And when the flood arose and broke against that house, immediately it fell, and the word of that house is great. The person who says, I love Jesus, but does not obey his word, is a walking oxymoron. A contrast, a contradiction of terms. To say I love God means I do what he asked me to do. You say, well, isn't that legalism? No, that's child. That's parenting. That's his privilege. God, as my father, gives me the privilege of doing his will in my life and the life of others. God gives me the privilege of carrying out his mandate in this world. You see, when we talk about the invested life, we're talking about an obedient life. Obedience is naturally bred to abiding. They are connected. They're inseparable. Jesus put this way in John 15, if you abide in me, you abide in my Father's love, even as I have kept his commands and abide in his love. If you're abiding in Christ, you're obeying his commandments. And if you're keeping his commandments, you're abiding in his presence of his love. The great command was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all your being, all that you are, to love God passionately. Not with lip service, not when it's easy, not when you come to human life, though this is a great place to be in love with Jesus. But to love him in the stretches of life, in the streets where you live, in the neighborhood what you call home. Do you love God there? Well, yes, I do. Well, do you obey his command to love? Well, what command was that? The proof of loving God was how you loved your neighbor. The meth addict, the pothead, the immoral girl or guy, the person who sells themselves into prostitution, the person who walks the streets at night darkly, the person who doesn't dress like, act like, sound like, talk like you. Do you love that person? Then don't say you obey God. You see, the love of God is a demonstration of our obedience to God's word. He that has my commandments and keeps my commandments, he it is who loves me. And he that loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and make myself known to him. John 14, 21. Verse 23 says virtually the same thing. You say we love God. Do you do what he says? What does he say? Love the Lord God supremely. Love your neighbor. Then he gave us another hard thing to do. Love your brothers. By this will all men know that you are disciples if you have loved one for another. In John 13, 34 and 35, he said, A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as the Father has loved me. So I have loved you. Love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Do you obey? Do you just do what he said? My father died about four years ago. He was 96 when he died. He was from a different generation. He was from a different time. But my dad would say, son, I want you to clean the garage. Dad didn't want a philosophical argument as why I should not have to clean the garage. It wasn't a time for some theoretical discussion about the virtues of not doing it. When he would come home, he wouldn't say, son, what elements of surprise overtook you to make you not think that you should mow the lawn or clean the garage or whatever the command was that week for me to do? He would simply say, son, did you do what I asked you to do? And I may say, gee, dad, what did you ask me to do? And my memory was never conditioned to stop the judgment that was about to fall on me. 
All my dad wanted to see was when he came home and opened the garage door, was that the garage was clean. That's all he asked of me was to clean out the garage. Or he'd say, son, I want you to mow the lawn for mom. And he came home and the grass was longer than the week before he left. There was no discussion. There was no parlay. There was no negotiation for terms of peace. I had simply disobeyed the will of my father. Yet somehow we Christians feel that we can negotiate what's God's will, what's not God's will, what God's command is and what it isn't. And we feel that somehow, somehow we can be okay, got to be okay with that. He's not. In Luke 17, 10, it said this, And after you've done all that is commanded, say we're unworthy servants, for we have only done that which is our duty. After you've done all that is commanded, all that's commanded, there is no invested life if you don't obey. And his word is not a burden. 1 John 5, 3 says, And here is the love of God that you keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Obedience is freedom. Obedience is liberty. Obedience allows you to experience in the fullness the love of Christ. Let me give you another thing to think about about that. Did any of you reflect on what was said last Don't let your hands or bob your heads like a bobber on a lake. You know? My wife, back in the back there, we've been married almost 44 years. We've been together 46. She dated me when I was a heathen. She was a heathen. And then on our first date, she became a Christian or secular, as she said. That really bummed me out. You know, I wasn't looking for a religious girl. I was looking for a hot girl. And I had to start going to church because she had this desire to go to church, which I thought was bizarre. I mean, why would you want to go to church? Because you're a Christian. Yeah, long story short. My, my wife's a head bobber. She was bobber head. Why do those little toys on a dashboard? <laughs> Don't be that right now. But have any of you acted at all on what God might have spoke to you about last night? Was there a sin to confess? Was there a promise to claim? Was there a decision to be made? Are you still pondering it? Then you've not obeyed. You see, it only counts when you step out in obedience and do what he says. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I command you? Now that's for people who know Christ, who walk with Christ. Why do we call him Lord, Lord? And not do what he says to do. The invested life is a life of obedience. I obey God not because I feel I am obligated to do so. Not because I have some debt to repay not because I feel that somehow I'll earn more favor with God. How much more favor can I get? I had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house on Saturday. I love when they come to my house. I used to bomb blast them. I don't do that anymore. Because they don't know enough about God to even be knocking on the door, but they come anyhow. But I just walked to the door and I said, I'm a radical, born-again believer of Jesus Christ. He saved me, forgave me, gave me the gift of eternal life when I die, go to heaven, not some new planet. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, my keeper of my soul. He's the one who redeemed and reconciled me. He has changed me. And I get to spend eternity with him. Can you beat that? <laughs> and they usually say, Well, we're grateful you know God. Can we leave some material? No, your material won't help me know better. My God, who has changed me, who loves me, who saved me, who reconciled me, and I'm going to live forever with him. You can't add to that. So, why do I think I'm trying to earn something here, Dan? I already have his favor. I already have his forgiveness. I already have his love. I already have his blessings. I already have his promises. 
I already have the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me in all fullness. I already have God in my life. I have all that is His is mine. What can be added? So obedience is a privilege. God trusts me to do His will in this life. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You got any fish on your stringer? You got any fish on your line? When was the last time you told anyone about the love of Jesus Christ? When was the last time you prayed for a non-Christian buddy, a friend that you would love to see Jesus like you see Jesus, to know him like you know him? When was the last time you trusted God's promises? Oh, I haven't done that. That's not my gift. Gifts have nothing to do with it. Obedience has everything to do with it. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? We have become a world of negotiations. We have become a world of compromise. We have become a world of capitulation. We, we think everything's negotiable. Or maybe it's just that we're entitled to a different walk than that of somebody else's. No. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you something. The storms are going to come. The clouds are bound. They're building right now in your life. Storms will come in health, in money, in relationships, in family. Storms will come in things you can't even imagine. They will come. And if you're not obeying God and allowing the roots of your life to grow deep into Him, into the nourishment of His Word, if His Word is not abiding in you richly, if you're not experiencing the love of God, see, apart from obedience, you can't even experience God's love. It's the same in marriage. Dina, as I said, we've been married 44 years in July of this year. That's a pretty good mark for a woman who tolerates a guy like me. She's an amazing woman. But if I want to have a happy home, I'm going to do the things that please him. She's going to do the things that please me. I'm going to figure out what that is. If I want to have a happy marriage, if I want to have a lasting marriage, or I can say, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. You can do what I say when I want it, when I please. <laughs> that'll end in divorce. At the core of so many divorces, and most, if not many of you, have come from divorced families, you will discover there was a great amount of self-centeredness involved in the process. Self-centeredness is a horrible sin that consumes and destroys everything around you. But if you want a marriage to work, then you live sacrificially and you think about those things that please and bring pleasure to the one to whom you're married. You might say you obey their desires. Why are we different when it comes to God? In Acts chapter 5, verse 39, it said that when they saw them, they confronted them and Peter spoke up and said they were confronting them sharing the gospel with them to the commanded and not to. And actually 5.29. It said, we must obey God rather than men. They understood exactly. You're telling us to be quiet. You're telling us against the law to share the gospel. You're telling us we'll be in prison. Well, we've made a decision. We will obey God who tells us to speak rather than man who tells us not to speak. Think of all that God has already given you. You're not earning favor of marriage. You've been given a privilege. You have the privilege of having the opportunity to spend time in this book every day. There are brothers and sisters in some countries that don't even have the privilege of having this in their hand or on their cell phone. 
There are some brothers and sisters in places today who it will cost them their families and even their lives to profess to be a Christian. And we struggle with basic obedience like having a quiet time. We call it legalism when someone says you ought to memorize scriptures. We call it legalism when someone says you need to have a regimen, a routine where you daily spend time alone with God in your prayer time. Oh, legalism, legalism, you shouldn't have to do that. Put yourself in a place where you don't have the freedom to do that and call it legalism. They will call it a privilege and honor. Beloved, why call him Lord, Lord, and do not do the things he tells you to do? Why call him Lord, Lord? Some of it's just slip service. We come together in a gathering like this and we sing praises. Worship team, thank you for that excellent worship. We sing and stuff, but we walk out here doing exactly our thing. When I was a hippie, my life was consumed by narcissistic choices. The Beatles said it right, I, me, me, mine. That was kind of my theme song, I, me, me, mine. There are those of you that claim the name of Jesus Christ, but it's I, me, me, mine. Not thy will, God, but my will be done. Not your heart, but my heart. Not your wants, but my wants. I never thought that God got much when he got me. Now, it isn't to say I didn't struggle with arrogance, because I did, and still do. The funny thing about my, my disease is it keeps wanting to bend me forward. So I think God's just showing me to be humble. Because it keeps putting me in a bad position. My wife has to remind me, she'll say, you're bound, you're bending over, you're bending over. Because it keeps wanting to bend you in half. And I take that as kind of a reminder from the Holy Spirit that I need to bow down before the one who gave me everything. The invested life is an obedient life. When Daniel was pushed to shove, when he was told not to pray to any other gods, it said after the edict was signed in Daniel chapter 6, he went to his place out on his balcony, as was his habit, and prayed to his God toward Jerusalem six times a day, as was his habit. He had made a decision. Despite the edicts of men, I will praise and obey my God. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego heard the decree. When you hear the trumpet sound, bow down and worship the golden image which your king has set up. But they would not bow. And so Nebuchadnezzar became furious with them and said, didn't you hear? Are you dead? And then no one heard quite well. That's pretty loud. The king knows this. We will not bow down. We will not worship your image. Even if you throw us in our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. But even if he can't, or even if he not can't, even if he doesn't, know this, O king, we will not bow down and worship your images. So they threw him in the fire, and the people who threw him in the fires were consumed by the heat of the place. But they were amazed because those three studs from Jerusalem weren't burning up. They didn't become crispy critters. And they said, there's a fourth one who has the image of the Son of a God, and angels with them. They brought him out. Not a hair on their head of his sins, their clothes didn't even smell burnt. And so then the king said, let everyone be killed if they don't worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king didn't quite get it yet. <laughs> but the point again is that obedience allows you to make godly choices when things are hard, because it's not based on emotion or circumstance, it's based on God's will and His Word. What do you base your obedience on? Why well, call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? Where will you find what God wants you to do? Right here, right here. God tells you how to use your money, 
your time, your bodies, your energy, your life, your family, all that you need to know about life and practice of life and godliness is found right here. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How many disciples have you made? How many people are following Jesus because of your obedience? How many people are walking with God because you invested in them? The invested life is a life of obedience. The invested life is a life of abiding. There is no abiding outside of obedience. 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 But the benefits of obedience are the promises of God are yours. Seeing as you abide in me, my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish will be done to you. Your prayer life is greatly empowered because of Scripture. By the way, I would challenge you to do something in some of your free time today. Have a blast. But take a few minutes, get John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, and just pray through it. Read the first verse. Jesus says that you're the vine and his father's the husband. Father, I thank you that you're the gardener of my life. You take care of my life. You want to tend me. You want to prove me. And just read each verse and pray through each verse. God will make those scriptures alive to you if you let it happen. And then be a doer of the word, not just to hear and say, oh God, how do I apply what I just read? How do I flesh out what you just told me to do in John chapter 15, 1 through 10? How do I do this? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I must tell you again, why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? Do you honor God in your daily relationships or lack thereof? Do you honor God at night when the computer's on and you have a choice of pornography or holiness? Which one do you choose? Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I command you? Why do you face the temptation and succumb to it when God said, I provided means out that you may escape it? Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? Why do you spend your money? You got enough to watch all kinds of movies and hang out and eat out and do this, but you have nothing to give to missions. You have nothing to give to support somebody. You know, all these Christian challenge folks raise their own support to serve you. They contact people like me and we commit to them every month and give them a little bit every month because we believe in what they do. Every one of them. When was the last time you joined the team? You said, I don't make much money. You give them five bucks a month. It's five bucks more than they have now. I'm just saying, do you honor God when you say, Lord, Lord, with your money? You know what? No one has more time except retired people than you do. I used to say no one has more expendable time than college students. Then I met a bunch of retired people. But you know, retired people are some a mirror of the college kids. They're still wasting the time God gave them. And the Word of God in Ephesians 4 tells us to make the most of each day. Make the most of your time. Make the most of those decisions. Psalms 9 12. Lord, give me a heart of wisdom that I may learn to number my days. God, help me to know how to invest this day wise. Lord, help me to know how to walk this day in a way that gets the best return on my life. God, let me honor you with my time investment. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I command you to do? Storms are coming. The clouds are building. You're building in your life. Are you building with stones that are precious like gold and silver and diamonds and sapphires, things that get better with heat and pressure and circumstances of life? Or are you building with wood, hay, and straw, and with the heat of life comes, they burn up, they crumble, they fall apart? Are you building your life upon eternal principles or the feelings and circumstances and the teachings of men? 
Why call me Lord and Lord and do not do the things I command you to do? Would anyone call you an obedient disciple? Would anyone mistake you for Jesus? When you're squeezed, when you're pressed, what comes out? He used to have a friend that believed there should be Christian curse words. I think he's missing the point. You see, when Jesus was pressed, he blessed. No vile thing came from his lips. He didn't deserve to die. He chose to die. He didn't deserve to be beaten for sins he never committed. He did it willfully. Not easily, but willfully. Because he obeyed the will of his Father. The invested life is an obedient life. Look at our model, Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, down through verse 8. I'm not going to quote that verse, but somebody says, He emptied himself of his rights as God and took on the form of a man, even the form of a slave. In John chapter 13, verse 15 and 17, after he had washed his disciples' feet and put his clothes back on, he said, Do you know what I've done to you? Truly, truly, I say to you, a master, a disciple is not greater than his master, neither is the one sent greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He had just washed their feet. He's getting ready to die. And he took the time to wash their feet because he wanted them to model the life of obedience that he had to the Father. Jesus Christ was obedient unto death for you and I. So that by his example, we can be obedient in life and death unto him. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I command you to do? And it's not a burden. I was at a football game when I first went to Oklahoma State. I have a problem with football games in any stadium. They build these seats that are for size four bucks. <laughs> Mine's at least a 14. And so you have to stand up through the whole stinking game. Well, some games are just downright boring. And you're standing up. But I was at this one game, and our guys were not playing incredibly well. So I got caught up in the moment. And I'm yelling, put me in, coach! I'm screaming like an idiot. I don't even like the color orange. And I'm screaming, and all of a sudden I realize, what are you doing? Story, number one, you're old. Number two, you're slow. Number three, you hate pain. Four and a half, you're still old. And lastly, you're horribly out of shape. You see, what keeps you spiritually in shape is if you obey the Word. If you daily practice the Word of God in your life and hide its truths in your heart so you don't sin against God, so you know what God wants in your life, so you know where He wants you to go today and tomorrow, so you know what God would have in your life today, so you know what God would have you to say to someone who offers you a conversation. As you obey your life, you discipline your life, and as you discipline your life, your life becomes increasingly increasingly usable to the things of God. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? Why do you bother to do that? Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? 
Discipline, as I shared last night, is unpleasant at the moment, but it bears a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by Hebrews 12, 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 28, it says, 227, it says this, Do you not know that in the rates all the runners run, all the one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. I run to, to re, they run to receive a perishable, which we an imperishable. Well, I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not beating the air. But I pummel my body and said, do it. So lest after preaching to others, I would not be called disqualified myself. What Paul's saying is this. If you read the rest of that chapter, he says this. I become all things to all men that by some means I might save some. One of my favorite chapters. Whatever it takes to win the Jew, I'll become that person that by the sake of Christ, I may be a bridge to Jesus and its lost man who's Jewish. Whatever it takes to reach a Gentile, I'll be that guy. That does never, it never means compromise principles. I'll explain what that means. I have a principle. I don't drink. I had a full beard, and I've never had an inclination to drink or have cigars. This seems to be if you have a full beard and you're a conservative Christian, you want to drink and have cigars. I did all those things, and then I became a Christian, so all those things are part of my past. I don't have an inclination to do those things anymore. I don't know why Christians want to do them now. But regardless of this, this I played in a band called the Old Man Band and that. We were all in our 50s and 40s at the time and played classical rock and roll and we would share our stories how Jesus had changed our lives. And we saw a lot of people come to get saved and meet Jesus and mainly in prisons. I love prisons, man. It's really cool. It can't lions. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. It just kind of came out bad. So I met these two church planners, and they said to me, we want your band to play, and I said, well, we can do that. And they said, we're going to have a party in our neighborhood, we're going to have a park, and we're going to invite all the neighbors to come. But we don't want you guys, we understand you guys do a lot of testimonies and stuff, we don't want you to do that, because we don't want to offend people. And I said, I think you've got the wrong band. He said, no, what we want you to do is, we'll, we'll do the dial, we'll be careful, we're going to have a couple of kegs of beer there. And I said, whoa, 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 you've really got the wrong band. All of us came out of that lifestyle. We don't parlay with that lifestyle anymore. Those are principles from my life. Those are my life convictions. So it's easy for me to step back and say, I don't do that. That's a compromise for me. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I can? I know I can drink. I know I have that privilege. The Bible doesn't say can't, but it does say you're not wise if you do. And since I want to be wise, I don't. And I don't want to be a wise man, because I think that is a command of God to be wise instead of a foolish person. My problem with drinking was this, and I've drank a lot, probably drank enough to sink battleship, whatever that means. <laughs> I've been all over Europe, I lived in Europe in 67 and 68, and I don't remember most of it because I was blacked out. I went to Copenhagen, places like, I lived in Norway, but I've been all over the place, and I'd go to the breweries and hit the breweries and hit the nightclubs until I run out of money or they'd throw me out of the bar. I had a blast. They told me I did. I don't remember it. <laughs> but my point that I'm getting at is, is I made a consensual decision with God that I would not be that man. I should be filled with wine. I'd be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being controlled by substance. When I graduated from high school, they said I could roll a joint in either hand. That was my class history, you know, Mike's story. He could roll a joint in either hand. Isn't that a novel thing to be remembered as? He could roll a joint in either hand. What a clever dude. What's up, that's really something you want to be remembered. That's a great legacy. 
But I want to be remembered as a man who heard the word of God and did the word of God, who obeyed God's word even when it hurt, who obeyed the word of God for the glory of God, not because it was convenient, who obeyed God even when people weren't looking. See, it's easy to obey God when the audience's eyes are turned on. What do you do when it's just you on a Friday night or you and your buddies on a Saturday night? Do you obey God? Do you obey God when others aren't paying attention? Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? You cannot abide in Christ unless you obey Christ. You cannot experience the love of God fully and completely and in the way he wants to on a day-to-day basis if you're not obeying his word. If his word's a burden, you're doing it for the wrong reason. If quiet times, let me tell you another reason to have quiet times. How many of you have ever had a dry season in your quiet time? Or as I heard in your word today, your Devo. That's pretty cool, your Devo. I like that band Devo, but I never thought of it as my quiet time before. So now I can listen to Devo and have a quiet time. Just kidding. I do like the Devo's. But let me tell you why you have your quiet times, even when you're having dry times, or times that didn't see what God speaks. In Romans 15, 4, it says, What was written in former days was written for our instruction, that by steadfastness and encouragement from the Scripture there is hope. I can read parts of the Leviticus and go, What were these guys thinking? I can read some of the prophets and go, Were they doing acid? I mean, I just sometimes the bizarre things they come up with, I'm just going, Whoa, dude. What were you thinking? And then God brings my mind back to folks who said, this is a lie, this is my word. Though it was written a long time ago in a different historical context, it has meaning for you because my word is And even though it doesn't have meaning for me at that moment or I feel like I'm not benefiting from it, I'll assure you the word of God is active and alive, sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's working in your life even when you don't feel it. I can probably count on one hand the number of times in the last 30 years when I've missed a quiet time. I'm not saying that to brag because there's nothing to brag about. I'm simply doing my duty, joyfully, out of love for my king. Why would I not want to spend time with the one who forgave me my sins? Why would I not want to spend time with the one who gives me a meaning and purpose in life? Why would I not want to spend time with the one who is greater than me has guided my life and given me a life that was not in vain. Why would I not want to wake up in the morning and spend time with that one? Now there are times it's dry and there's times it's not exciting and there's times, it's like this. When I met my bride, I would lose sleep thinking about her. I was infatuated with her. I didn't care if she spoke English, was from America, what I mean, I was hot to try. <laughs> but we've been married a long time now. I don't know what it feels like anymore to be in love with her. I just know I'm more in love with her today than ever before. I don't like being away from her. One of my greatest joys of life is sitting on our front porch of our place in the spring or the fall of the year and having a cup of coffee and to see my bride. Sometimes it just makes her mad when I do this because she calls it creepy. <laughs> Sometimes I'll, I'll wake up before she does and I just look at her in bed. I like to look at her face. Just look at her. Now, I don't know what it feels like anymore, but I just know I'm more devoted to her now, more committed to her now, more in love with her today than I was when we started 46 years ago. 
How much more should I be in love with Jesus, the one who died for me, who set me free, who came and gave me a purpose and a reason to live, who filled the vacuum of the darkness of my hole, who gave me a, a reason and a song in my heart, who gives me hope. Hope. Why would I not want to spend time with him? Why call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I tell you to do? Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible life is an obedient life. And that is an invested life. The invested life is a life of abiding. The invested life is a life of obedience. What do you believe? Do you know for yourself? Yes, I read John Piper. Well, shut that stupid book and read the Bible. <laughs> it doesn't matter what Piper or story anybody else says. It matters what God said. Decide for yourself. You and the Holy Spirit are all you need. And when you have questions, go ask your campus director. And they're not going to say... This is the only right and correct. They're going to say, let's see what the Bible says. And let the Bible speak without manipulation, without twist. Every man has a prejudice. Every woman has a prejudice. But the Word of God is pure. Be in Berean, Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the Word of God with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul said were true. Be a Berean. What do you believe? I spent the first three years of my Christian life I was in a thing called the Jesus Movement. Just trying to figure out what do I believe? What do I believe about this? What do I believe about God, the, tr the Trinity? What do I believe about salvation? What do I believe about baptism? What do I believe about the church? What do I believe about this book called the Bible? What do I believe about the Holy Spirit? What do I believe about gifts? What do I believe about security of the believer? Or can you lose your salvation? What do I believe about these things? What do I believe about sovereignty? What does it mean? What does it not mean? What, does I, what do I believe about God's forgiveness? How broad and how deep is it? I just wrote to write a notebook. And I bought a little book that was Moody Press. It said, Decide for Yourself. But the fourth week, I realized it wasn't for myself. They had every Bible study had a predetermined conclusion, so I threw it away. I didn't want their conclusion. I wanted God's conclusion for my life. Now, I've been helped by people along the way, and you should be helped too. That makes you a learner. But the ultimate decision is when you study for yourself the Word of God and become a believer and establish a faith based on the Bible. And from the wisdom and counsel of godly men and women who invest in your life, and from the Holy Spirit as your teacher. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I tell you to do? Well, I think I pretty well covered the game. Not really. Just touch the tip of the iceberg. 90% of the iceberg is below the water level. There's so much about God's word that you need to know, that I need to know. At 64, I know so much less than I did when I was 20. I understand so much less, but what I do know has changed my life. What I do understand has radically transformed the way I think. Because his word is alive. Why would you not want to obey the living God? Who wants to walk with you? Who invites you into his presence? Who wants to be your healer, your deliverer, your shepherd, your physician? Who wants to feed you? Who wants to make sure you're never thirsty again? Who wants to make sure that you are on the way and you know the truth and you're experiencing the fullness of life? Why would you not want to obey what he says when he offers you more than any false god in the world can ever offer you? And there's no shame or guilt affixed to obeying Jesus. No shame or guilt. Just freedom. Just freedom. Because you see, truth sets a person free. And that's what Jesus is. The invested life is an abiding life. The invested life is an obedient life. Are you an obedient follower of Christ? 
Are you abiding in his presence and his fellowship? Father, you know these men and women better than I. So, Father, I ask you to make them mold them, shape them into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. That's what they were predetermined to be like, Jesus. And it has so little to do with the other garment we affixed to that, but it has everything to do with you want them to be like your Son, Jesus Christ. You want them to obey your word, not because they have to, and sometimes they'll just do it out of duty, and that's okay, but you want them to get to the place they obey because it's the right thing and because they love doing your thing because they know that you bring them into the good place, your fellowship. Help them to realize that storms are coming and gathering, and obedience is always a choice. And should they fail to take obedience seriously, when the storms come, they will fall apart. But if they are built on the rock through obedience, through abiding, as you have invested in them through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and Godly counsel and Godly community, as you've invested in them, they will stand as the storms come. So help us to understand the invested life is an obedient life. For your glory and your honor, I pray. Amen.